Yana, come and record the Drift ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Drift Outfitters in downtown Toronto, Ontario. Drift Outfitters is your source for all things fly fishing. From waders and boots to thread and feathers, Drift has it all. Check in on their website for their latest updates and policies regarding shopping during the pandemic. Curbside pickup for your online and phone orders is a great way to get the gear you need. And they're shipping for free across Canada on orders over 100 bucks. Visit driftoutfitters.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to another episode of SoFly. It is mid-November and we are recording another uh, COVID uh, quarantine episode all apart. My name is Mitch and we've got Aldo. Hey, everybody. And we've got Yelma. Hello, everyone. And we've got a very special guest on the show today. We're super excited to have uh, Monty Burke on the show. Monty Burke is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Saban, The Making of a Coach, a biography of Alabama head coach Nick Saban. Uh, he's also the author of Fourth and Goal, One Man's Quest to Recapture His Dream, which won an Axiom Award for Biography, and Sow Belly, The Obsessive Quest for the World Record Largemouth Bass, which was named one of the best books of the year by Sports Illustrated and Amazon and was chosen for Barnes & Noble's Discover a Great New Writers program. It's also the next book on my list of books to read before the end of the year because I freaking love uh, Largemouth Bass. Um, after a 14-year stint as a reporter, staff writer, and editor at Forbes, Monty is now a contributing editor at The Magazine. Uh, he's also a contributing editor at Garden and & Gun and The Drake. He graduated from Middlebury College with a BA in religion. He grew up in New Hampshire, Vermont, North Carolina, and Alabama, and now he lives in Brooklyn with his wife and his daughters, and he's the author behind the book we'll be discussing today, Lords of the Fly, Madness, Obsession, and the Hunt for the World Record Tarpon. Uh, if you haven't read the book, I highly recommend you check it out. It's a very entertaining read and an in-depth, interesting look into this really insane world that is tarpon fly fishing, um, and specifically the stories behind some of the best anglers ever in their pursuit to catch these monsters in Florida. Um, the book's full of incredible stories involving anglers I've followed along with for years, including Lefty Cray, Flip Pallet, Billy Pate, uh, just to name a few. We're super excited to be chatting with Monty today. Monty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Uh, where are you calling in from today? We're back in Brooklyn. Right on. We left for a little while uh, during the heat of the sp spring pandemic. I uh, went to Vermont, but no, we've been back here for a couple months now. Right on. How's the fishing over there? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know about Toronto, but um, <laughs> New York is actually one of the most underrated fisheries i think in the united states it's un it's unbelievable and i didn't actually it took me a little while to figure it out but the salt scene here mm -hmm. is just so cool it's like an eight month oh, yeah. season it's stripers in the spring you have stripers on the flats in the summer and then you have bonito and false albacore come through in the fall and then stripers again and bluefish you know oh, during man. the whole period it's actually really really good it's one of the things that keeps me here actually is how good oh, the fishing is. yeah oh, i've wow. heard about the stripers but that's that's pretty much all i've i've heard about yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. What, I was gonna do a little a little uh, reference from what's the Bonito? Oh yeah, from uh, my little Step Brothers actually. <laughs> Step Brothers, <laughs> classic. I love it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Aldo, yeah, please. Oh, saying like yeah, that's a really interesting point. Uh, you know, we have steelhead running through downtown here, or Great Lake steelhead running through downtown. You know, so yep. it's like that's pretty cool. It's like yeah, you can go to the middle of nowhere and catch fish, but there's something to be said about living in a town of, well, for us, three million, and you. Yeah. What's New York's population? 25 million or something like that? Eight, eight on a good day, probably, you know, 15. It's always been fascinating to me to be, I like to fish in Jamaica Bay. 
kind of where JFK Airport is and mm. other parts of Jamaica Bay and to be like casting for a, uh, you know, a bunch of stripers who were devouring, you know, Menhaden and birds coming down and, yeah. and, you know, after you cast and maybe you release your fish, you look up and there's Coney Island right there. And it's all, yeah, cool. it's yeah. so cool. like the weirdest, weirdest <laughs> thing in the world. But I love, yeah. I love, yeah, it. Is, that is I love that. I love that too. Um, okay. Well, why don't we get started with just like talking a little bit about you know, the basics of, of who you are as an angler and a writer. How did you get into fly fishing? Like, how did all that begun, began for you? Um, so my grandfather was a big fly fisherman. He actually went to Iceland back in the day, and he had, like, Orvis bamboo rods. And we um, uh, moved to North Carolina when I was young, and I had a little bass pond in the back. And my brother and I would go back there with, like, big, hairy poppers and probably, like, a foot of leader. Uh, and <laughs> use those bamboo rods and just plunk them down. And, you know, especially during the spring, during the spawn, they would just jump all over it. And it just, you know, I did a little spin fishing before that. Um, but something about the fly rod just, just got me, just got me big time. Mm. And, you know, kind of wherever I've lived, I've lived all over the place, but I lived in the Keys for a little while, lived in uh, Washington, DC. You know, I always just got really into whatever sort of was the local, yeah. was the local scene, you know, in DC, I got so so into uh you know fishing the latort spring run which is this really cool little creek in pennsylvania um oh, man. you know lived out west for a little while fish sun valley fish silver creek and big wood and i mean i just have just loved it ever since you know that first cast i think i was nine or ten years old just really loved it and golf has fly fishing been the deciding factor on where you lived throughout your life um, you <laughs> know, it, it sounds was, like it kind of has it was <laughs> until i moved to new york um I took a job here. I wanted to be a writer. So I took a job here at Force of Field magazine, which at that time was a hunting and fishing magazine. Now it's a big game hunting magazine, but uh, it was based in New York. So I had to move to New York and I was really bummed when I moved here. I was like, oh man, like I am totally screwed. There's, I'm not going to have any fishing. Yeah. You know, I discovered the cat skills, but it took me a little while to figure out. And I never forgot. I got a phone call from this guide in Staten Island named Captain Frank Crescitelli. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, he called me Manty. He said, Manty, <laughs> got to come out and check this out. So he took me out actually, you know, into the harbor here. I think it was like uh, the spring. Yeah, it was like May or something like that. And mm -hmm. it was just, I mean, it just blew my mind. It blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, all this, these stripers. And then, you know, I got really into it. And yeah, so fly fishing, I, I'll put it this way. I would move yeah. if there wasn't fly fishing. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because I mean, you got started, like you say, you, your first experiences were warm water fish, right? Like, and that... It's so fun, right? Like just any fish is fun on a fly rod. Totally, totally. What do you think it was about fly fishing that, that had you hooked? Like what was it that, you know, that just stuck with you? You know, I, I, a lot of it has to do with family. Like it was a weird, it was a cool way of connecting with my grandfather. My father yeah. fly fished for a little bit too. And my uncle uh, fly fishes still. So it was like, you know, it was like, I don't know. It was cool to be kind of in that club. You kind of felt yeah. like you were in the club. You know, I always have loved uh, as I've gotten older, in particular, I've loved the difficulty of it. You know, I mean, uh, Tom McGuane, the great writer, has a, a great quote talking about why we fly fish and, and why we make it more difficult. Uh, and he kind of likens it to the net in tennis. It's kind of what makes it the game. You know, it's what makes it uh, kind of competitive. And I just love, you know, I just love everything about it. There's something about, you know, in the spring, I think about going to Catskills. And I always like when I rig up my rod, you know, for the first time, it's been a long winter, you rig it up and you, mm -hmm. and you, you know, you got to put the line through and tie the fly on and it, and it leans against the car. And it's just like that potential energy that's stored yeah. within that rod yeah. uh, is just always just gotten me, man. It's always gotten me. I just love, I really love, I've started spay casting lately. I mean, I've just, just 
just adore everything about it. Yeah. Oh, you just started spay casting right on. So did I. Yeah, started like three years ago. Actually, I, I fish in Canada. I didn't go this year, but I've got a cabin on the Marguerite in oh, Nova nice. Scotia. Oh, that's amazing. nice. Right on. That's wicked. Yeah, that's a nice place to be spay fishing. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite place in the whole world. Actually, just random. We got the cabin right on the same pool mm-hmm. uh, where I caught my first Atlantic salmon 25 oh. years ago. Just randomly happened to be that way. But it's, it's really literally one of the coolest places in the world. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that explanation of, you know, why uh, the potential energy, you know, when you see that rod leaning against the car, it's a great way of thinking about fishing. Um, but writing, how did you get into, like, do you remember your, your foiree into fly fishing writing? Mm-hmm. I, um, I always kind of wanted, so my uncle was a writer, and mm-hmm. I always loved writing, and I loved, you know, reading in particular, but it, and I, I sort of wanted to express myself in the same way. And, you know, I went to college, I studied religion, mm-hmm. out of college, you know, I got a real job, and uh, actually applied to business school and um, at the same time was fishing the Latort Spring Creek and just mm. really loving it. And I met one of these old fellows up there, this guy named Ed Shank, who was uh, one of the last of the old guard. He just died two years ago at age of like 99 or something like that. And uh, I met him and I was like, man, I'd love to do a story on that dude, mm-hmm. having never done a story before. Mm-hmm. Um, went up there, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, actually came up, took the pictures, did did a whole story without any, you know, without any magazine buying it or anything like that. He had no, like, you know, just doing kind of on spec. And I applied to business school. And this is a true story. Within the same week, uh, I got into business school and I'd sent this story off to a couple of magazines. And the same week I got into business school, I got a letter back from Sporting Classics magazine. And the editor's name is Chuck Wexler. And there, I still have the letter in my drawer up here. And he was like, I like your story a lot. It was like a 3,000 word tome. Like I really put it all in there. Like, Love your story. We'll, we'll buy it for $200. And I was like, Made probably the worst financial decision of my life. But I was like, <laughs> Fuck business school. Yeah. I want to be a writer. Yeah. But you know what they always say about about writing and about podcasting and anything you do, like mm-hmm. you, you should write about what you know. You know, and like I, you know, I don't profess to be the Andy Mill or the world's greatest angler, but I know it because I love it so much. And so it actually becomes it's a natural thing to want to write about, to run and write about sort of the thoughts that go through your head, the emotions you experience, the beautiful places that it takes place. I mean, you know, it's just, it's it just kind of a natural, natural thing. Now I do a lot of non-fishing writing too, which is really good. You don't want to get, you don't want to, I've never really wanted to just write about fishing because yeah. then I kind of start to, it gets a little too much. You start to drive yourself crazy and start to mm-hmm. use totally. anecdotes and stories that you've already used somewhere else, you know? So, um, but you know, it is just something I'd love writing and I like to take it seriously. And again, going back to McGuane, I've always loved the fact that, you know, McGuane is a really accomplished novelist, mm-hmm. but he's always, uh, you know, treated his fishing pieces as seriously as he treated his novels. And I, I just really love that. And when you get a fishing piece that, that rises up to that level, I, it's just something spectacular about that. Something yeah. that's sublime. Well, and he's respected for that too. Like he's, t- hit, people take his ri- fishing writing seriously. Like they, they yep. treat it as seriously as, the other stuff, which is really cool to see, you know, because fly fishing is relatively, you know, niche. It's getting more popular, but it's cool that a mainstream person like that writes about it in that way, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, that's, I mean, yeah, like I, I totally know what you mean, like especially when it comes to, uh, like you said, podcasting. Yeah. When you get to do this sort of thing, it also takes you to places that are exceptional and you, you have an excuse to fish with guy like guys like Evans and like meet those guys and actually like go out on the water with them. How did you get into this whole florida tarpon thing how did you meet these guys how did this whole thing begin um so i think it actually began uh it began with a 
uh, a, a magazine assignment. Um, Guardian Gun Magazine, which is a Southern uh, American magazine, uh, asked me to write a story on this guy named Steve Huff, who is, mm. uh, they actually put the title on there. They said the greatest greatest guide ever or something like that. I forgot the title, but it was, <laughs> yeah. but it, but it was totally true. Like he's, he's, he is literally thought of as probably the best shallow water, saltwater uh, fishing guide ever. Um, more world records, you know, in permit yeah. and tarpon and bone fish and, uh, you know, just an all around great guy. And what he, what's cool about him is he's 70 something now and he's still, he's still the best, you know, he's like, it's like DiMaggio kept playing baseball somehow. And yeah. like, you know, yeah. So, so I did, did the story on Steve, on Steve. Um, and then, you know, we got along pretty well. Steve has a static list of 12 people he fishes every, every year. One of those guys dropped out uh, and I had the, the audacity to call him up and say, Hey, I heard uh, so-and-so dropped out. Do you think I can come down? He's like, sure. Oh, and so this was like 11 years awesome. ago. So ever since then we fished every, every year. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time right. in the boat together. I stayed at his house. So we have dinner uh, with, with he and his wife and, and he would talk a lot about, you know, about this, this place, Homosassa. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, the name alone to me was like really poetic and enchanting, you know, it's like Homosassa. And I, I had an inkling of something had gone on big there, you know, back in the late 70s, but I wasn't exactly sure. But he told me more and more about it. He told me about Tom Evans. He told me about Stu Apt and Ted Williams and Billy Pate, all these, you know, Chico and Flip and all these guys who were there at this at this time chasing this the world record tarpon. He, of course, Steve was there as well. Um, and then so, you know, that kind of planted, that was like the planted the seed somewhere way back in my head. And then uh, a couple of years after that, I did same magazine, sent me down to do a story on Andy Mill, who, of course, is the former U.S. ski team member, was married to Chris Everett, became probably the greatest tournament tarpon angler of all time, an all-around great guy. And so I spent a couple of days with him, and uh, we got along pretty well. And he said, you know, there's a story you need to tell. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. There's a story you need to tell. So uh, he kept bugging me about it, kept bugging me about it. And I think it was about two years ago, he called me up. He's like, no, no, you have to tell the story now. These guys are all dying. You have to tell the story. And mm -hmm. I called, uh, it was the story about Home Assassin, about this period, this magical period, the late 70s, early 80s, when, you know, you could argue that the world's greatest anglers, along with the world's greatest guides, mm -hmm. fly anglers, I should say, were yeah. all in the same place at the same time, chasing the same thing. And that went for about a five year period. And so that it was like this sort of apex moment in fly fishing. So that alone was very intriguing <laughs> to me. Um, I, of course, went to my, I'd just come off doing the Nick Saban book and I went to my agent and my publishers and they were like, fishing book, dude, are you serious? Like, <laughs> there's not like another coach out there you want to write about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the market for football coaches is a little bit bigger than it is for, uh, yeah. for fly fishing. But you know, I went, uh, Andy gave me Tom Evans' phone number and I called him up and he's in Vermont, not too far away from where I am. So I drove up to see him and sat with him for a whole day and just listened to these stories. And I said, shit, man, I got to do this story. I mean, it's just, it was, and it wasn't just the home assassin part. Like yeah. it was like, you know, like what led up to that apex moment yeah. and mm -hmm. then what kind of come out of that apex moment mm -hmm. or, or what, what has come subsequently out of that apex mm -hmm. moment. Um, and so, you know, it's just like a story that I just, I, I really actually felt like I had to tell it. And it was, it was a joy. Mm -hmm. The reporting, as you might imagine, was really fun. I mean, I had to spend, you were saying earlier how podcasting gives you an excuse to go to these places, but also all the people, you know, I got, it gave me the excuse to knock yeah. on Stu App's door yeah. and I'll yeah. and say, hey, can I sit down with you for three hours and interview? You know? Yeah, exactly. Same thing, with, same thing with Flip. 
I mean, I, you know, I called up Flip. He said, sure, come up and talk to me. So I went to his house and he, he cooked a bison burger and we sat and chatted around the fire. I mean, it's like, this is like stuff like if I was, when I was 13, if you told yeah. me I was going to do all that stuff, I'd have been like, God. Dude. I know, exactly. Yeah. It's like the coolest thing ever, man. Like sitting around eating bison burgers with Flip Palette. Like, come on. Drinking Taco Fly Fishing Legends. Yeah, it's great. I was going to ask, that was my next so question, you know, like what an undertaking uh, in terms of research. And because this book's just crammed with stories after stories. How did you approach, you know, the actual research part? Was it literally that just sitting down with these guys for hours and writing stuff down? Yeah, I mean, so so I didn't, you know, in, in the beginning, I didn't realize, I should have realized it, but I didn't realize how connected the whole damn thing was, right? Yeah. I mean, you can start with, you can actually start with the first trout caught by the Macedonians, you know, and you can yeah. kind of trace this whole thing, but particularly with saltwater and the flats, you can start with Bill Smith catching, intentionally catching a bonefish mm-hmm. on a flat in the Keys. And, mm-hmm. you know, that line, that thread goes all the way now to the present day. And, and it's it sort of, you know, it, homo sass is kind of like, you know, again, like one of the apex moments, if not the apex moment in, in saltwater flying, fly angling for sure. So yep. I should have known that it was more connected, but it, it all kind of, you know, when you do this, I intensely reported it for about a year, yeah. uh, which, which entailed seeing as many people as I could face to face, which is great traveling to see people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some were done in phone calls lots of reading. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because the, re- the reporting part of a book is a very extroverted thing, right? I mean, you, you're, I'm there to smile and get information from you and get yeah. stories. Maybe some stories you don't want to mm-hmm. tell me, but yeah. maybe, maybe you will tell me if you have a beer, you know, that kind <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. and, then, and then, of course, you know, once the reporting's over, you know, it, to me, the reporting's over when you start hearing the same stories over and over again. You're like, all right, I got it. Right. Got it. Right. So you, right. Somewhere, I always liken it to yeah. like a, um, a, a, a puzzle so like the reporting is going out and gathering all these pieces and throwing them into a box yeah and you're, you're, you're not that organized about it because you're just trying to get as much information as possible mm-hmm. and then the writing is you know somehow in your brain you've been maybe connecting things as you as you're putting them in the box but the writing is like shaking up that thing and then throwing it you know mm-hmm. putting all the puzzles on the ground and then trying to figure out how they kind of piece together and then it, unlike the you know unlike the reporting part the writing part is like a totally introspective like I actually, I love both of them. I think I like the writing part a little better, but like you sit for hours by yourself, you grow a big gnarly ass beard. Your kids are like, <laughs> kids look at you like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go to work. I am at work. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen people that like, I haven't seen you in months, man. And you put, <laughs> but, but like fly fishing, when you're writing and you've, and the story is kind of forming in your head, like it's as intense as any, it's such a cool, yeah, such a cool thing because everything you know, everything I read, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. That kind of, that maybe relates to something that I'm, you know, yeah. writing about, or you watch a TV show and you're like, that's an interesting little nugget that I can, and you, you know, everything leads to this cool ass yeah. thing that you're doing, you know, and it's such a great, it's such a great, I'm always so bummed when I'm done. It's like, I'm just, yeah, you know? yeah I know. It must, it must, yeah, I must leave a whole, I, my mother's a concert pianist and, you know, she practices for months, does the show and then is just left with this whole, is it kind of the same thing? You just kind of. Yeah. I mean, you, you just, to me, the most, the most, the, the high of the, the high is actually the, you know, the reporting and the writing. And then the, the apex moment of the whole deal is when you think you've got it done. When I've rewritten the damn thing three times, I've mm-hmm. crossed all the T's. I still have a damn typo every once in a while, but <laughs> you know, and then you push send and you send it to the, you send it to the editor because then there's this like little weird period where you don't know if they're going to like it. Like you like it, but no one right. else has seen it. You know, you don't know if it's worth a shit. It could yeah. be terrible. <laughs> yeah. And so 
that, but that's always like, so that's a really fun moment. And then when the pub, when the editor says they like it or whatever, that's a great moment too. And then, and then it's weird. There's this weird lag time, you know, like you're, I'm done with the book. It's been copy edited, whatever. And then there's this, because of the printing schedule and getting it into bookstores, mm-hmm. you know, it's like months and months and months. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, my book's coming out in like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, whole nother, that's a whole nother can of worms. It's, it's really, so the Saban book was more national, like, right. you know, it got like national attention. I went on ESPN five or six times. Like it was a, you know, it was a big kind of national deal. Sweet. This has been this wonderful, uh, personal thing like i can't tell you how many mm. people have written me emails or sent me dms or whatever just to say that they that they read it and it's like it's so grad every one of those things is like gratifying yeah. kind of, it's like it's like air you know it's yeah. oxygen mm-hmm. it kind of keeps you going it's such a cool yeah. wonderful gratifying thing but yeah, yeah absolutely how long did it take the writing process take for this one it took about probably let's see eight eight to nine months i would say i like i always like to give myself more than six months you know Mm. uh, if i can you know sometimes you just can't you got other stuff to do but uh i think Mm -hmm. i got a full eight or nine months out of this one so that was just great yeah i mean geez yeah like everybody read it because you'll see it's just like the compiling something like this and stringing it together to your point is it a is a feat i was like really amazed (laughs) how many stories you actually got in this book um what was the reception like from some of the guys in the book like did uh, like what did pallet say when he read it uh it's funny you asked about him first (laughs) so so what you know i there's a decision you make as a as a as a writer to be am i going to be like tell the objective truth Mm -hmm. or am i going to like be careful and like you know a lot of a lot of fly fishing writing fails i think because they deify people and they and they don't tell the whole truth so i just decided you know fuck it i'm just going to tell i love that I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell like the stories that I got. I'm going to tell the truth. I ran all those things by these guys too. So Flip's an interesting character because, uh, you know, he is um, in every other thing you read about Flip, he's the greatest fly fisher in the world, mm-hmm. which, he, which he probably was. He's 90 now. He's probably not anymore, but he was definitely during the time. Not a lot of people talk about kind of what a braggart he was and what, how, what a hard ass he was as a guide on his clients and stuff like that. So I got a lot of those stories and I was like, I'm not going to shy away from that, you know, yeah. but, to me, that makes him more interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I mean, he's the Muhammad Ali of fly fishing, right? He's uh, he talks a ton of shit, but he backs it all up because <laughs> yeah. he's just. Sandy Moret used to tell me he's with Sandy Moret said something like he's he's never shy about a story about himself. But then, in the next breath, Sandy said people used to go to the dock to watch this guy launch his boat. Like he was that people <laughs> just went around, you know, they wanted. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. you know, so so Stu was in. So Stu sent me an email and he said, you know, I. I appreciate, uh, you know, cause I'd run the stuff by him before. He's yeah. like, I appreciate, um, you know, I, I appreciate what you did. He didn't sound like a hundred percent please, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he used to have this, um, he used to have, he took a little issue with the fact that I reported that he had this, uh, RV and he had a picture of himself on the side and it said a big picture of himself on the side and it said world's greatest fly fisher. <laughs> That's awesome. He used to park the RV, uh, you know, in front of his house in Key West so everybody could see it. And then he would drive it every year across the country to Montana. And so, <laughs> again, so with Flip, like, I mean, I mean, uh, sorry, is this, I'm talking about Stu App. Yeah, I Stu. just threw that whole thing up. I said Flip out, but we're talking Absolutely. about Stu App. Yeah, yeah. Stu said, you know, Stu said, you know, uh, well, why'd you put that in there? And I was like, well, you know, 
A, it's interesting, and B, it's totally true. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we're the world's great. World's, I'm sorry, you said pallet, and I, I messed up. And no, so no, you talking, you were talking about pallet, and then you went into stew, which is great because okay. I want to know about stew too. All right. So yeah. So and then you know other people like actually I haven't heard. I talked to Flip the other day, but you know he he said he loved it, and that's yeah. about all he said. He's yeah. pretty you know pretty short. Uh, you know Evans, who Tom Evans is the sort yeah. of main character. Um, you know, and he's you know he's not treated gently in some parts as well. And, you know, he's a pretty tough guy. He was like, yeah. you know, he was like, that's, a, you know, whatever that, that you report it's, it's all accurate. Is it's what it is. So, yeah. That's the most, yeah. I guess it's the most important thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to me, to me, this is that, that's the, that we're all human. And I even admitted in the book that like, I'm a fucking jackass too. Like we all, <laughs> some of us, you know, we're all, you know, you know, we're all human. I yeah. mean, Billy Pate to me was a fascinating guy to look into because once again, he's been like, you know, if you look at the BTT, uh, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, and the IGFA, like Billy Pate is this yeah. this huge character and shit. You know, I mean, he and he is. He was great, uh, but Billy Pate was a total womanizer. Yeah. You know, a total womanizer and yeah. a and a crazy man about records to the point where he talks smack but behind people's back and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. you know, to me, it was more important to tell the real stories. I think that's more interesting, yeah. um, as objectively as I possibly can. That's what I did with the Nick Saban book as well. So, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Hey, 100%. you mentioned you lived in the Keys. Were you fishing in the Keys? At what, at what point in your life were you? I fished you a little bit. Actually, it's a, yeah. And did did you get a wind of any of this while you were living there, or did something really, happen? No. I mean, so I was only yeah. there for. I went right after college. I went and lived down there uh, on a boat, actually, uh, <laughs> off of Christmas Tree Island, uh, which is off of Key West, and uh, quickly aborted a plan to to sing in bars. I did. I was in a my band, my band, it was two of the dudes with guitars and <laughs> sang and our dogs. And we did it for like three months. And I think we might've made like $50. Right on. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's not really working, but it, but it was super, super fun. I, you know, I took a job while I was down there too. So I worked during the day, but you know, it, it was pretty quick, pretty obvious. It wasn't going to work. So I, you know, I didn't have any money then. So I didn't fish. We fished some of the beaches, you know, we drive to the, drive to some of the bridges and try to fish some of the flats then, but that's a hell of a hard way to fish for, you know, you gotta be there at the exact right tide. And yeah, yeah. so we didn't do very well, yeah. but no, I had no inkling of any of this by that. I mean, I'd read about homeless ass. I'd read about, you know, all these guys are my heroes and stuff like that, but I didn't yeah. know this whole story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was fascinated by the keys. I just, yeah, he, he hasn't stopped talking about it since he's, been I just there. go down. I, a friend of mine, his parents like just bought a house in the keys randomly like a couple of years, like I want to say 60 years ago. Yeah. And so I like, I'm going to make a yearly pilgrimage down there. Cause he goes down there to visit his folks at Christmas. And then I go in January cause his dad's a big angler and my friend isn't. <laughs> so there he is. takes me on his, so he's got a flats boat. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I remember the first time going down there and just seeing all these places I'd always read about and just yeah. being like, Oh man. Yeah, it's cool. You go to, you go to rabbit key and you go to all these like different, I mean, it's just really, it's one of the prettiest and coolest looking things that I've ever, you know, even yeah. Isla Morata is like going through there for the first time. I was like, whoa, you know, like and seeing all these places, yeah. you know. Yeah, you got to go to the, when you go to Isla Morata next, go to the Lorelei at like four o'clock when all the guys are getting off the water and just mm-hmm. sit and just sit and listen to these dudes, man. It's like, it's awesome. Oh, all man. these great guides. That's awesome. Clients there and they sit down in happy hours and a crazy time at the Lorelei. Oh, God. Is awesome. it ever not happy hour in the Keys? <laughs> I was like, I'm always like <laughs> absolutely question. faded the entire time. <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> is key west like uh, at, uh, at all familiar to like what it was and how you wrote about it in the book like does it have some of those same feelings of you know 
it's it to me seems very touristy now it's like you know wall street is the main street now and it's all t-shirt shops and mar- you know shitty margarita bars but yeah but you know if you if you venture off a little bit you can get that flavor that kind of you know when those guys when tom mcguane and jim harrison and all those guys the artists were sort of there yeah you can get a little bit of that flavor but man it's super commercialized now when once they let those ships come in and dump off you know, cruise ship passengers. Yeah. Although I bet it's been great. There's been no cruise ships down there since March. So I bet it's been, True. you know, maybe reverted back. Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. It's sad. You know, the way you write about it, it's like, God, it sounds so awesome. Like the way it was like this paradise, you know, that, um, that just existed. It's like, it'd be so cool to go back there, especially if you're an angler, you know, like, jeez. Yep. Yep. but no, I think I, you know, going back to writing, honestly about these people, I think hundred percent, it makes the most sense to do that. Cause it would be a boring book if it's just like, and this per- just they all sound like angels and they're amazing, you know, right, anglers, blah, right. blah, blah. Uh, but you actually got to spend time fishing with some of these guys in the water. What was that mm-hmm. like? How, how were they in, in reality when you actually fished? Um, I mean, they're, you know, I mean, to me, the most interesting one was probably fishing with anyway was Tom Evans, who was 82. Mm-hmm. And um, he is uh, he's an interesting character because he was he's was to me the obvious character to make the thread in the book because he was there during the heyday in the late 70s. He's now 82. He still goes every That's year amazing. in pursuit of the world record. And he is now like, you know, he's, he's an ex-football player. So he was a big guy to begin with, but mm-hmm. he's had all these botched back surgeries and he's like 300 pounds and, yeah. you know, can't, he really literally can't stand up for more than a minute or so. So Jeez. watching him was fascinating because, you know, he would, uh, the, his guide had, had rigged up this, this little cage at the, at the front on the casting bow of the bow of the boat. And um, he had a rope attached to it and he had a big lawn chair and Tom would sit in lawn chair. And then when he would see tarpon, he would pull himself up real slowly and get up in that cage. And, you know, I was like, dude, this, how the fuck does this guy even cast? And then all of a sudden yeah. we saw the tarpon, it was like, you know, one beautiful haul and boom, you know, fly right in front of the fish, perfect strip. Like it was like oh, that. Man. So that was super, super cool. Uh, you know, fishing, oh, wow. with Huff just, fishing with Huff is like, you know, I, I just like one of the greatest experiences in the world, not only for his angling ability and his guiding ability, but just for, you know, he's just a really good dude. Mm. Um, I didn't really, who else did I fish with? I mean, there there were, there were, uh, I mean, Andy Mill is still one of the greatest and, you know, prettiest anglers I've ever seen. I mean, the time I fished with him, we we had like 25 mile an hour winds uh, coming right at us. And the string came by and he just like, kind of leaned down and did this side cast one haul and then a double haul going forward and boom, that thing landed perfectly, like on like six pound test, you know, right in front of that tarpon's, you know, whatever, a foot in front of the tarpon's nose. It was just beautiful to watch. Jeez. So, it, you know, it was, it was cool to, you know, some of these guys, I didn't, I didn't fish with Flip. I didn't, I didn't yeah. fish with Stu, obviously. I didn't fish with Chico, but, you know, just, just hanging out with them was just freaking cool. You know? Oh yeah. Was, I bet. I mean, it's like serious passion, you know, like, Evans, you know, the fact that he's still going and fishing and for tarpon that aren't an easy fish to fish for when you're in good health, you know, like it's crazy. Especially he's trying, he's trying, he's now trying to break the eight pound record, which, which takes like such, you know, it's a young man's finesse in order to do that shit. Yeah. And, you know, and yet he's, he's pops off a lot of them, but you know, he's landed a bunch. So it's it's pretty fascinating. It's wild, man. Can you explain a little bit about the, the, I guess the record, Thing, how the tippet structure works to the fish and how that whole world kind of works. Yeah, it's <laughs> that was an interesting thing to, to look when I 
first got all that information yeah. said, I, how the hell am I going to write about this in an interesting way? Because <laughs> if you're not really, really into it, like yeah. it's, it's something else, but so that, you know, the basic, you know, tarpon leader itself is this beautiful piece of art. You know, you've got this, you got the butt section and then you've got, uh, you know, uh, an Albright knot, and then you've got this beautiful bimini twist, and then you've got the, you've got the tippet class, uh, and, and then and then you've got the butt or the uh, the bite tippet. Yeah. Uh, so it's like this, you know. I, I've tied one in my life. It took me about an hour to do it, and it was it was terrible. But uh, <laughs> they're just, it's it, you know. I have, actually I had to have an illustration of one in the book because they're just yeah. so cool to do. Yeah. So the whole the tip that, you know, when it comes to fly fishing, there are line class records, and uh, twenty pound is the is the heaviest uh, that can qualify for a fly fishing record. Um, and that's the tippet, uh, you know, that's the tippet breaking strength. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, traditionally uh, it started off back in the keys. Everyone fished 12 pound. They fished 12 pound for everything. They fished 12 pound for bonefish and they fished 12 pound for tarpon. Very hard to land a tarpon on 12 pound tippet if you don't have a bite tippet. That uh, was innovated by a guy named J. Lee, uh, J.L. Uh, Cuddy back way back in the day, he kind of decided that if you put a little, if you tie a little bite tippet to the, to the tippet and yeah. then tie your fly to that bite tippet, then you can, you can wrestle in a big tarpon. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's all this, you know, a lot of people think that 20, 20 pound Billy Pate was a, a big proponent of 20 pound, uh, yeah. uh, and you know, a lot of people thought that was a terrible idea, uh, uh, but he got it through the IGFA. Yeah. Uh, I would say the real traditionalist fished with uh, either 12 or 16. Right. Um, I love, I like to fish with 16 because then I, I, if you, it gives you a, you can screw up a little bit more than you can on 12, mm -hmm. but it's also not too big that like if a big shark, bull yeah. shark starts chasing your tarpon that you can, you can pop it off real quick. Um, I don't know. It just seems, it seems more sporting. I mean, a, a lot of, some people fish with straight lines of 30 pound test, which obviously isn't, you can't catch a record with that. It's not IGFA legal or whatever, but, yeah. um, you know, it, to, to each his own, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not as hardcore as some of the hardcores in there that think that every time you go out, your tarpon rig should be completely IGFA legal. Yeah. Um, but I, but I do prefer if I can to fish with, uh, you know, 16 pound. And of course I have Steve Huff tie it for me. I can't tie the damn thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Although when we were down in Tobago, what did we, what did we fish with for the tarpon? Um, uh, we had 16 pounds. 16, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 16 pounds for the same reason that, well, first of all, I wanted to make sure you landed your first tarpon ever, which yeah. happened. <laughs> it happened. Nice. Yeah. But I think we used a Huffnagel for the, uh, for the, the legal, the, 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 the yeah, that would, that's a often used knot for that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How but Yuma, yeah, Yuma, Yuma, tarpon that you got. I wasn't. It wasn't too big. It was like it's like when I caught the muskie, and it's like, oh, it's a thirty-inch muskie. It's like, oh, okay. But at least I caught a muskie. It's like the same thing with the tarpon. It's not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know. But it was still cool. It was decent enough to put on the photo on our. Probably like an eight. Probably like an eight pound. Eight eight pounds. There's a lagoon. So Yuma's from Tobago, Trinidad, Tobago. We went yep. down to as a, a little exploratory mission, um, because, you know. Yelma returned to Tobago as he often does for for holidays, Christmas. Christmas, and started looking at the ocean through the eyes of a fly angler. <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute, these are totally flat. different. These are flats." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> turns out, <laughs> turns out there's turns out there's permit, lots of permit. Really? Bone, yeah, yeah. Per, lots of permit. Shit. Bones and tarp, and there's a one lagoon where a baby tarpon hole, 
anyway, so uh, this year before, like, honestly, as COVID was happening, like the plane was outrunning the virus on their way back, basically. Yeah. Like right. we'd gone down there in March. And, um, well, and it might uh, be like a new, awesome. it might be the new homo sasa of like permit. From what you guys it were could telling be. me, yeah, it could be, it could be definitely. Um, yeah, we saw. Well, nobody it. fishes it, right? Yeah, we just saw. We saw until now. Until now. There's a crew. There's a crew of Germans and Swedes that just come down just for the the permit because, like, every time you go out, you'll see a couple, right? Um, and especially the time we went, but he, uh, our guide, was saying August is is prime time for cool. for all three. Are they ta- are they tailing permit? Or are they swimming yeah. in schools? Tailing, yeah. wow. They're both, we're both, we were seeing schools and tailing permit, which was pretty, pretty cool. Well, let me, let me just write that down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. The thing is, there's no, there aren't any flats boats. So it's like, it's almost like, yeah, you, the world could descend on it. But I don't know how you'd get out to the flats, right. you know, but there is one lagoon that holds baby tarpon and, and, and that's where we fish for the tarpon and you only got his first tarpon, which is really yeah. cool. Awesome. Your your first tarpon though, Monty. Like, how long did it take you again to get that thing in? And I'm not saying that to be like, oh my god, look how long <laughs> it took. It was a big fish. It was a big fish. So I was with with Steve. Um, the time we did the article, actually, we didn't fish for tarpon. We fished for snook. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of more, you know, being a reporter. I was ta- you know taping them. I mean, we're taking notes, all this sort of stuff. But so that then the next time I went down with them, the first day we got out there, and um, you know, in the Everglades, unlike the Keys. The tarpon you see, for the most part, at least the ones that Steve looked for, are laid up, right. which to me is the greatest way. I mean, you could yeah. so the keys. The water is not quite as clear in the Everglades. It's not quite as clear as the keys. It's a little bit muddy, mm-hmm. but you know, if you really kind of strain your eyes, you can see all of a sudden this sort of silver bar, so cool. and there's little pinks. There's pink sometimes on the tail, and you know, sometimes you can't tell which side is the tail, which side is the head. But uh, anyway, so that morning, mm-hmm. I mean. My God. I mean, you know, I've been five <laughs> eight years old. I blew. I mean, I'm surprised that Steve just didn't say, fuck it. We're going home. Cause you just, <laughs> came yeah. like I blew more. I blew like, I think I blew six great. I mean, this is like, you know, 40 feet, 50 feet cast. Like there's your, there's your fist. Right. Not that 30 feet even sometimes. And I was throwing it on their head. I was throwing it on their back. I was throwing it too far away. So they couldn't see it. I just blew cast all day. And, uh, you know, I think finally, I think like after lunch, yeah, it was like this duo, uh, and I finally put a really my a good cast in there, and something kind of clicked. You know, the fish, those fish flushed anyway, but something kind of clicked. And then, uh, you know, we were in a different cove, and this this uh, just giant fish just went up, and, you know, went up and got some air, and the bubbles came up, and I could see it just laying there, and without even Steve saying anything, it just like was reactionary, which is what I needed. Yeah. I needed something like didn't know how to think anymore, just need to react. Yeah, I threw it down there, one pull. Boom, like a pull that I will never forget in my life. And I just remember, you know, going, oh, like that. And then the line was like a guitar string, like going across yeah. the stern. And Steve got under it and a fish jumped, you know, the, it jumped behind us. And I said, Steve, there's another tarpon jumping. He goes, no, that's your tarpon. Huh. I was like, what? You know, it's like all the way behind us. So I fought wow. the thing for two hours. And it's like, I mean, when, when, when you have a big tarpon, what, one thing that I think is really interesting about tarpon fishing, what turns a lot of people off, actually, is that you have to actually fight the thing. You know, it's not like catching Atlantic salmon where you, right. you know, it takes out line and then you reel a little bit and it takes out line. You're kind of holding your rod. Like with a tarpon, you have to pull, you're pulling. 
your body you're weight. pulling as hard as you can and you're reeling and then you're pulling and with a 16 pound test you can pull pretty much as hard as you want yeah without popping it you can pop it if you point the rod right at it and bring it like that but if you're using the rod and so you know i was doing it i thought i was doing everything right steve was guiding me through it and he was like just take your time be cool um you know and i see why a lot of people i saw during that time why a lot of people just like to jump a tarpon like they jump it once and then they intentionally break it off just because it okay it's a real unless you're good at it it's a it's a pain in the ass so yeah. two hours later this thing had dragged oh. all over the place. Oh, wow. And this is literally two hours of me pulling as hard as I can. Yeah. My knees yeah. are, my, I've been leaning against the casting uh, platform. My knees are just like bleeding. <laughs> I, I've sweated through everything. My shirt, my, my uh, yeah. pants, you know, I'm oh, dehydrated. It's, it's like the old man in the sea. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to throw up my arms, my, my hand. I can't, you know, for like yeah. five minutes afterwards, I couldn't, my hand was in this kind of clutch craw. Yeah. I couldn't get out. <laughs> Uh, but we finally landed it and, um, yeah, and then, and, you know, remarkably the damn thing, like literally like the minute he took the fly out, it was like, <clears throat> when it just took shot off. off. And we were like waving in the boat cause it, <laughs> it was 140 pounds. So it wasn't like a world record, but it was, it's a, it was a big fish. And I never forget that my first instinct was like, oh, thank God damn. that's over. And then literally the next thought in my head was like, God, I want to do that again yeah. right now. Yeah. It was just amazing. Total addiction. Steve told me he was very nice. He said, don't worry about it. Billy Pate once took 12 hours to get a tarpon. Boom. There you go. There you go. 12 <laughs> hours, though. Eh? <laughs> oh, my God. What the Of course, hell? my first thought was like, man, it would suck to be Billy Pate's fishing partner. When he <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, 140-pound fish, and I mean, I don't even know if I'd be able to fight that thing because it really is like wrestling with the fish. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you get, you know, you do get – so subsequently I've caught more, and I – I just, now I'm a little bit more reckless. Like I'm like, I'm going to either get this thing in pretty fast, right. which is 30 to 40 minutes, or I'm going to pop it off. And if I pop it off, I pop it off. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. do two hours again ever in my life. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah, I, that. yeah. I mean, like to practice something like that and get good at it, like these, like Evans and stuff, who've been doing it for, you know, yep. decades, almost exclusively. It's like, it's just so much, you just really do have to be that passionate, invested in it. Because like you say, it's physically quite tolling and you're and you know and that's even if you catch one you know mm-hmm. like finding the tarpon is hard yeah i mean standing on the bow all day for whatever it is eight yeah. nine hours and, and squinting into the sun you know it's like a, it's like a, you know it's a real sport which is what's cool about it i think you know it's like a, yeah. it takes a little little fortitude mental and physical you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely i'm oh, actually scared I, I i'm a i will admit that i'm a little bit scared in the mornings you know when steve and i have breakfast before we go out like yeah. i'm a little bit like do i have it in me to do this today like yeah. like uh, you know am i do am i up for this because it's a it's a real mental battle you know sounds like me in tobago <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm with you on that one you're right it's like it's a, it is a mental because yeah. you're like you are looking a lot more than you're fishing and you're, you're fishing when you're looking but you're you're just like that's such a that's such a good way of putting it. I remember like having my coffee there staring out the window in Tobago being like, do I have 10 hours of staring at the surf in, in me right now? <laughs> God, yeah. yeah. But, it, but I mean, the payoff is huge, right? And it is fun. Like, God, it's so much fun. Well, yeah. It's, 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 it's like so beautiful. Image, anything else that gets that engrossing and you can forget everything else in your life and it just like yes. clears your mind. It's like, I mean, that's one of the great things mm-hmm. about fly fishing too is it, is it doesn't mean a damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> But you can get so into it, you yeah. know. I mean, you can, and and it can just take you away from all. Especially, I feel like this year and you know, last four years, we've kind of needed to kind of, you know, an escape. And it truly is an escape. And it it's yeah. to me the most mind clearing thing in the world is to have a tarpon bite your fly. 
You know, it's just yeah. like you, you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about your taxes. You're not thinking about the president. You're not thinking about anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit. That moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. God, I got to go fucking tarpon fishing. Oh my God. Dude, you do. Man. <laughs> it's so much fun. Can't even handle yeah. this. Um, so, okay. One thing here, uh, you talk about fame in the book and like fame amongst anglers. And, and obviously that's just, you know, like kind of a, a thing with these guys, pilot and, and all these people. Um, I want to talk a little bit about lefty. Have you ever met lefty or fished with lefty? I have actually, <coughs> excuse me. I, um, again, for the same magazine, uh, I think it was after the Steve Huff story. They're like, Hey, do you want to go do a story on lefty? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. totally. <laughs> so I drove down lefty at the time was, he was 89 years old, yeah. 90 years old, 90 years old. I drove down to his, his little cute little modest house in Maryland. And, um, you know, I, he was like, well, first thing we got to do is we got to go, we got to go, uh, take you out for a casting lesson. So he took me to this local pond. I learned, I later learned that he does this with every writer. I, I you know, okay, yeah. I started, I started to lead the story with like, I went to Lefty's house and I got a casting lesson. And I looked up some old stories and I was like, <laughs> I got it. Was for like 20 years with different writers. So I had to <laughs> kind of have a different lead on it, but, um, you know, he, he was a, Lefty's was such a cool dude. I mean, he just, you know, he had, a, he, he had a tennis ball on the top of his antenna yeah. so that he could find his car. <laughs> you know, in the parking lot. Yeah. He had a little handmade resting thing, so he put his arm down in his car. He had a paperback novel in his car that he re would read in traffic. I mean, he was, he was a really cool dude. And, you know, I just, uh, I, I can't cast as well. You know, I, I tried. You know, I got out there and I tried to do my double haul. And, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. And this 90-year-old dude who's like half my, you know, he's half my, yeah. um, 90 years old, looks like Yoda, just is like, you know, sling. <laughs> sling and the whole fly yeah. the whole fly line goes off you know yeah. it's like it's, it's just just insane so you know lefty was a, was just a, a treasure i mean he you know but he was you know the he was the carnival barker of the fishing world right you know he the, you know some he, he, as steve huff always said you know i knew better than to tell lefty anything yeah about where i was you know because he would tell everybody in fact that to me was a fascinating thing to find out um yeah was that Lefty was kind of the one who pulled the lid off of, uh, of the home assassin fishery, which yeah. to that point before Lefty did that, <clears throat> was some of the, no one knew about it. There were three guys from a, the mirror lure company mm -hmm. who, who fished it. Um, and, and no one else really knew about these, this giant sort of subset of tarpon that came in every May to home assassin Bay. Yeah. And one of the guys uh, made the, the huge error of taking Lefty Cray, who was at that point <laughs> the writer, at the St. Petersburg Times, and they said, I'm going to take you and show you this place if you swear not to tell anybody. And Lefty said, I don't want to tell anybody. And Lefty <laughs> goes out, catches an enormous tarpon, sees all these other enormous tarpon. A week later, uh, the paper has a story about Lefty Cray about all the big tarpon in home. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. And so, you know, it was in the internet age, so it didn't spread like wildfire, but, yeah. but that's definitely what got the word out. That's what started to kind of leak the word out to the to the hardcore guys. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna. I was gonna ask that. Kind of. I was gonna say. You know, was Lefty responsible for it for lifting the lid, or was it inevitable? But it sounds like Lefty was pretty responsible. I, think, I You know, I think it was inevitable at some point. Yeah. I think Lefty. Lefty's thing started. There's another guy named Norman Duncan who was part of that group mm -hmm. of the, what they called the Four Musketeers, which was Chico Fernandez, Flip Pallet, uh, Norman Duncan, and a guy named John Emery, who were all these University of Miami students who sort of got geeky about fly fishing together at the same time and came up all these cool innovations. But Norman also had been up there early. Somehow he'd stuck his way in there and he started telling people about it as well. So 
uh, you know, it, it was a combination of Norman talking about it and Lefty writing about it that got Steve Huff and Tom Evans up there. And then, and then they both caught world record fish within a week of each other. And then boom, word was out and the, the circus began. Yeah. Right. Where is Homosasa exactly? It's so it's on the Gulf coast of Florida. It's about 70 miles North of Tampa. Okay. And, uh, it, you know, it is still a little, you know, at least the town of Homosassa itself is, oh, yeah. Here it is. is relatively charming. It's got beautiful, oh, yeah. you know, oak trees and everything and, and Spanish moss and the, the surrounding areas become a shit show. It's just, it's just strip mall, strip mall and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 retirement communities and more golf courses than you can yeah. shake a stick at but but the town little town itself is, is still pretty cute but it, it you know it was at that point when those guys got, got up there in 1976 1977 it was <clears throat> tiny it was a crabbing town there was yeah. like nothing around there was a two-lane road that went into mm. it. So like, it, was, it was tiny uh, yeah, well, and, and no one knew anything no you know no one knew anything about it it's pretty cool when you when you That's look at cool. it on a map although and you see the i'm looking at it right now man hey. <laughs> people listen at home go look, google maps it because you can when you look at the water it's like oh yeah that looks like such good tarpon all the little rivers and things like that like i'm like how can that you know obviously that's amazing you know and uh, that flat there, there there's a big flat they call the oklahoma flat mm. um is just literally one of the coolest it's it's a little deeper than you know some of the keys flats uh not not the ocean side but some of the inside keys flats it's like you know eight feet or whatever but just blindingly white sand oh, you can cool. see the tarpon coming from 200 yards away i'm not kidding you, you can you Damn. look out and see like those look like black tadpoles what the hell are those things coming at you and it's like <laughs> tarpon. holy crap here they <laughs> they're coming. it is just such a that flat is so cool so, so man i want to go fishing for tarpon. <laughs> now, is it still a, you know it's, it's still a place you can go fish for tarpon and it's still good right like evan still uh, goes down there yeah it's 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 not so you know after that great rush in the late 70s early 80s mm-hmm. uh things started to really fall off in the late 80s and then the 90s were just a disaster i mean so mm-hmm. there you know there were tens of thousands of tarpon that used to come there every may uh, back in the seventies and early eighties. And then a combination of becoming too popular. I mean, you know, Billy Pate brought in, uh, ABC American sportsman yeah. to come do a television show. Then he shot a movie, yeah. you know, New York times did a story on it. Sports illustrated did a big story. On it. So it just became this really popular yeah. <clears throat> place. And all of a sudden there were a hundred boats there, you know, which the place yeah. really should take about 10, yeah. uh, 10 to 15. Damn. So that combination of that, and then a combination of, the horrible freshwater problems that Florida has, all these developments, all those golf courses I just mentioned, you know, take water. All of those senior citizen communities just started taking waters out of the, out of the aquifer. So you had those rivers you were talking about going in there had less freshwater, yeah. uh, you know, making its way into the bay, which is, you doesn't see that important to tarpon, but it is important because that's how that attracted the crabs that attracted all these tarpons. So it's right. not a place, you know, it, it's, it's what, as I describe in the book, it's like now it's hermetically sealed off from the rest of the tarpon world. It's yeah. not a place for a beginner because it's expansive. And there's also these rock piles everywhere that people always run into. Yeah. Um, and also there's just not that many fish there. I mean, you can go to Key West <clears throat> on a good day and you can see literally hundreds of tarpon swim by. You might not catch any, but you'll see them. And that, you know, that alone kind of makes a lot of people's day, right? Yeah. You can mm-hmm. go to Sassa and you can go there for two weeks and not see one fish. Yeah. Damn. So, you know, there's always, there's a couple days every May when it seems like it's back to normal. Like it seems like 
you know, there's hundreds of fish swim the flat and they're big and they're chunky and all this kind of stuff. But then it's just not that. In fact, this season, this 2020 season, which was great everywhere else for tarpon because of the lack of anglers, was horrific in Homosassa. Yeah. I mean, the guys went there who caught one fish in 30 days. So it's, it's, it's not, it's a place I would go more for nostalgia's sake. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I w- if you were going to try to catch your first tarpon, I would definitely not go to Homosassa. I'd go to the Everglades or I'd go to the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Or keys, or the Panhandle, or or Tobago, or yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. Or I was gonna say this entire thing is just a front by you guys and Evans and all to 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 stop people from going to Homosassa and bring it back, and it's actually on fire right now. <laughs> it, that's possible, but you know, I looked at I I, I went down there three seasons, and mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. it, they're not that many fish, yeah. and I read all Evans kept logs for. 30 years and I read all of his logs and it's just like, they get like, it gets more dire and dire with every page you turn yeah. every year. Right. So, you know, yeah. Is that an area of focus for groups like bonefish tarpon trust or are they more keys focused? Um, they're, they're probably a little more keys focused, although they're, I, I think they in Patagonia are announcing an initiative um, this week actually, or maybe next Monday um, about, you know, uh, getting the freshwater, demanding that Florida deal with their freshwater a little bit better. So yeah. they're starting mm. to, kind of, you know, they deal with tarpon everywhere. So that's, in, of course. that's important to them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that there's not, you know, it, it, there's not enough focus. I don't think by anglers really on what the hell's going on in Florida right now with the water. Cause it's like, it's not only the crabs, it's also juvenile habitat because the you know, freshwater comes in with the mangroves. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody are dying of thirst at this point. I mean, it's like, it's kind of a, possible big ecological disaster which is going to affect our fishing um, yeah. which is kind of in the making right now but not to get too you know no i think it's, i think it's good i mean yeah, yeah like i was going to i was going to ask are you hopeful about um you know people coming together to try to turn stuff around specifically there like do you see positive change not not really in homosassa uh yeah. i you know i mm-hmm. i i will never say never about anything but it it seems to me that i mean homosassa may stabilize at some point and yeah. be a little bit better than it is, but I don't, it'll never go back to what it was. I mean, just that water, it's not like they're going to be like, okay, go golf courses, you know, you can't yeah, water. True. And, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. so then that aquifer <clears throat> is just in trouble now, but yeah. I am hopeful, you know, I'm hopeful. I, re- I retain hope for the Everglades. Mm-hmm. I retain hope for the keys. And, and, you know, one thing, maybe a silver lining of 2020 is the number of new anglers that have been introduced to this sport. Yeah. Um, maybe not quite as many saltwater anglers, a lot of trout, a lot of people getting into trout fishing and stuff like that, but they become, you know, the sort of natural progression is to start with trout and then, yeah. you know, maybe salmon and then maybe stripers and then maybe get, you know, try, try the saltwater thing. So they'll become, some of them will become saltwater yeah. <laughs> anglers. And I, you know, the more people involved, although it's annoying sometimes on the water, if there are a lot of new people around stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, Aldo Leopold supposedly once said that we, we, you know, we protect what we love. And I, I think exactly. the more people that start to love this thing, the more kind of political might we have. And, you know, there, there is uh, in the last gubernatorial election in Florida, the, the clean, the, the, you know, the water folks. So the folks who are working on Everglades and working on, you know, Florida's water, freshwater situation really, you know, had some political might. And they actually, the, that election was, you know, in the tens of thousands or something like that. And it's possible that they were the swing that the water folks were the swing. They, the guy who was elected who turned out to be, you know, not that great, but at the time, anyway, he wasn't taking any, 
money from Big Sugar, which is one of the big water depleters down in, the, in Florida. So that was a big deal. So they kind of swung their might behind him. And they may have changed the guber gubernatorial election. I don't really know. But I, I, you know, I think you have to, you know, all fishing, all fishermen are optimists, right? Yeah, yep, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's you, a good you're point. only one. You're only one cast away from greatness, as my friend Paul Bruno yeah, says. Love, and I, I love that quote. I, I love think, that. You know, there's there's there's, <laughs> a, uh, there's a optimism, a natural optimism that fly fishermen have, and I think that translates into our resources. I mean, we're going to have to fight like hell, but yeah, uh, they're, and they're worth fighting for. That's for sure. For yeah, sure, no, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, I was gonna. I, that is what I was gonna ask. I was gonna kind of end this whole. Th Actually, you know what? Before we get there, because this is kind of all connected, but. Just quickly about catch and release, I want to talk a little bit about that because tarpon catch and release obviously is, um, well, at least with the record guys, it's a whole other thing. But like catching a tarpon, can you catch a tarpon and be confident that the um, success of the release, like the fish is going to live? Like how shady a gray area is that? You know, I, I, I spent a, a little chapter on that because mm -hmm. it's <clears throat> it's such an interesting question. So, you know, I'm, I'm a catch and release. I wouldn't kill it if I caught a 300 pound tarpon, I would not kill it. Yes. for a record i just wouldn't do even if i was an igfa legal i just wouldn't do it i just don't believe mm -hmm. i don't know i just don't want to kill a big animal like that you know, if i'm not going to eat it, especially if you're not going to eat the damn thing right if you're going to eat it you might think of it differently so i used to walk around like with my nose in the air being like man i'm a catch and release angler i'm better than anybody else which <laughs> is horse which is horse shit. it's still whether you catch it whether you keep the fish or release it it's still a blood sport yeah as steve huff always says whenever we catch a tarpon he says you ruin that fish's day yeah. you know so uh, I think it's really important for catch and release anglers to think about that a little bit more. And it's a moral question that everybody has to kind of figure out on their own. I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, you don't think about it every time you go out, but you know, every once in a while I'll stop and think about what you're doing. So, you know, the, in order to, in order to um, uh, submit a record for tarpon, unfortunately, because they're so big, you have to kill it. Uh, and it's actually kind of a gruesome thing. It looks, uh, they, they usually string a rope in it. <clears throat> and put a, a scale on one side and then put it around a tree and then lift the tarpon up on a tree. So it has these sort of real unfortunate sort of, kind yeah. of lynching kind of, it's not cool. Yeah. It's not yeah. cool looking. Yeah. Um, so, but, so, you know, but, but the good news is that, you know, maybe one fish is killed for a record a year. I mean, there's just not many more, there's not many world record chasers. So people yeah. just don't kill them for that reason. Yeah. Now catch and release. It, it kind of depends on where you are. I mean, the Boca Grand Pass, which is one of the great, uh, staging areas for tarpon there there are tens of thousands of tarpon in there yeah. um the sharks know all about this now and yeah. they will really on some days can't kill 300 released tarpon because when you release a tarpon it just doesn't have the juice it had you know when it was just swimming around so holy shit uh, yeah. i think that's a you know there, there are certain areas maybe that we should consider i don't know not fishing or when there's sharks around you call it off you blow the horn and you know, get, get out of the damn water but yeah. i, I you know, <clears throat> that's why I was saying earlier, I've, I'm, I'm not afraid, you know, if it takes me, if I'm over the 30, 35 minute mark on a tarpon, I'm just going to start horsing the damn thing in because it's it, it going to break off and it'll have a great chance of survival, I think. Uh, you know, yeah. I think when you go over the 45 minute mark, you're, you're that, you know, that tarpon probably will live, but there's a better chance that a shark will get it or that it right. will croak well, you know, so, okay, so if you catch a tarpon and the thing is going to die, um, and this is going to sound like accusatory, but I'm in the exact same position because this happens to me. This happened to me a couple times and it really yeah, bums really. me out. But how do you justify going back out after that fish died and you caught this tarpon for catch and release? You, you, um, it dies and you go, so I'm going to hit the water again. It, it, it just, I mean, it, it, I hate killing fish. I really yeah. do. And, you know, but I, I, I killed an, I, 
killed an elk uh, a couple years ago and it was like this like one of the most moving experiences i've ever had i ate you know i, I gave 400 pounds of meat away and i ate you know geez, yeah. i don't know how many pounds of damn thing so like you know that's more <laughs> big elk yeah. that's awesome it's a big elk yeah so um you know so the way that i've justified the the my morality when it comes to fishing is that what we were talking about before a little bit that you know without anglers and without uh, the money that is raised through fishing licenses, but also the sort of political might that anglers have. And the, again, getting back to the Aldo Leopold quote, you know, we protect what we love, right? And so it seems like a conundrum to non-anglers, right? But uh, I remember that I did a story for Forbes one time. There were these PETA protesters throwing rocks into a river where fly fishing were trying to catch trout. And, you know, I wrote a story like, you know, without those, without Trout Unlimited, without those trout anglers, there probably wouldn't be yeah many trout in that pond i know for a fact without the atlantic salmon federation there would not be yeah the sand in some rivers in in no mm-hmm. particular so you know i justify it and again that this can change as i get older who yep. knows what's going on. but i justify it that you know i am part i give money to conservation i care about conservation i stay up on these issues that that um you know that that we i protect what i love and then without the btt which is all anglers you know, there would be no research on tarpon. There would be, you know, bone, the bonefish would be in more trouble than they are in the Keys. I mean, so mm-hmm. that's how I justify it anyway. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but that's just personally how I, mm-hmm. how I've mm-hmm. justified mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I love, no, and I, you know, I ask because I love that in the book you touch on that and, and you talk about how it's up to every angler to think about it themselves. I, it's something I think about all the time. And when a fish does die, I'm like, why am I doing this? But I inevitably come back, I agree, I come back to, um, I care so much more about that fish than anybody I know, you know, right. and it's like, it's just such right. a strange thing that we do, you know, but yes. uh, yeah, no, I love, I love, I think it's important for us to think about. And I'm, I liked that you uh, talked about that. Um, so going back to where fly fishing's headed and we were talking a little bit about, you know, more anglers and stuff. And um, the, the, the internet's attracted all kinds of, you know, um, anglers. Uh, are you optimistic that, the future of angling and there's so many more people getting into the sport. Are you optimistic that that is a good thing? And that, you know, with crowding and, and places are, you know, lefty, so to speak is giving away places. Um, and, and Instagram is giving away places and all that kind of stuff. Are you optimistic? That's a good thing. Do you think fly fishing is um, headed in a good direction? You know, I think in general, fly fishing is heading headed in a good generation be- or good direction because there's a younger generation that's really stepped up and, I do think that they're just naturally more conservation minded. You know, mm-hmm. I personally could do without the Instagram. I mean, I, I don't know how some of these <laughs> folks, and, and, and again, this is just my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the second yeah. time we heard that. Grip and grin, grip and grin, grip and grin. I mean, if you look at their Instagram pages, that's all it is, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, th- if that floats their boat, good for them. That does not float my boat. Yeah. To me, fishing is, is uh, way better captured in your mind. And I've always thought that writing is the best way to, writing and reading are the best ways to kind of get the actual feel for fishing. I mean, mm-hmm. even a, even a great fishing movie doesn't quite get you there, you know, because it's such a, a mm-hmm. sport of internal monologues and, Absolutely. you know, uh, of, of the, it's a sport of the interior. It's a sport of the mind to me. So yeah. to me, writing, you know, has always been the, <clears throat> the best way or reading has always been the kind of best way to get at it. So, but I am, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you got younger people, you've got, uh, people of color, you've got women. I mean, this is, these are all really good things, right? Yeah. They're not just good things. They're great things. Mm-hmm. And I think that will, will be good for, again, getting that kind of political might a little bit 
that protecting what we love, hopefully that will be, you know, a big, uh, it will, will translate into some saving of these resources. Um, <clears throat> you know, if people give away my secret spot on the margarita through an Instagram post, yeah. I'm going to be pretty pissed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, I, I, you kind of take the good, the good with the bad. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I fish with some younger anglers, younger, 20 year old anglers and they're just like they're instagram fiends man and yeah. i'm always like if, we, if i take them to a spot i'm like please don't if you just blur the back <laughs> something like that you know yeah. we'll just take the day off you know post something else for, you know yeah but so, yeah so i don't know are you guys optimistic about it i mean i i don't know it's a good question like uh shit i don't have an answer i i ask this question all the time i'm like i don't fucking know um <laughs> i don't know i think well, you know good, good you ask the question then. yeah it's tricky because i think that I think I think that um, you hit on some good points that the internet and Instagram open up a lot of good things, but the giving away of fishing spots, it's yeah, it is. It is. I, I'll never understand, and it's it's less about the the giving away of the spots. It's more about the. It's kind of more old internet forum stuff where it's like, oh, the fishing's really good on the river and the spot, and someone goes to the internet to tell everybody, and I don't understand why you'd want to do that. Like, why do you want to inform everybody mm. about that? Like, what is that giving you? What is what is you know what do you get out of that? Um, I, think, I do think, you know, with yeah. fly fishing, too, there's like the, there's this, you, you have to learn so much right, yeah. in order to make it good, right? Not, not yeah. only about spots and stuff like that and casting, but tying knots and what yeah. kind of flies and stuff like that. So there's that, you know, the people who will, who will really get into it will have to still always exactly. take those steps. Instagram's not going to get you there. That's exactly it. You know, like when, yeah. like I posted a picture of a yeah. fish I got the other day and it's like, if you know where that is, you already know more about steelheading than I do. So, you know what I mean? But, right. you know, Lefty going to Homo Sasa writing an article about how amazing that place is. A little right. different, right? right? Yeah. I so, think yeah, I'd I th- like to say I'm hopeful. Yeah. I think, like, I think here's here's the thing is for me, it's like people are always going on about, like, spot blowing in, <laughs> in places, specifically in places that, like, with us, I don't know. We've posted some things, let's just put it this way. We've posted some things and, you know, some people were like, oh, I can't believe you blew up that spot. It's like, well, first of all, this spot is, you know, in Toronto, <laughs> in Toronto, it's pub. It's publicly marked, and and the point and and it's been you know a secret, not a secret for so long and been misused for so long, mm-hmm. that for me it's like I don't care. I'll blow up a spot. It means more people. Like you said, you protect what you enjoy. If somebody goes to those spots that you know, I'll just yeah, like those spots on the Upper Credit River. It's a small you know, cold water stream. We don't have many cold water streams in Southern Ontario. Um, and it's one of the last places that has wild brook trout and, and, you know, a naturalized population of wild browns. Yeah. And it's like, uh, this river needs friends and it needs stewards on it. So yeah. like, please come here. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm definitely one for keeping secrets. Definitely. Especially when it comes to like our tomogamy backcountry spots. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to spots that need help, yeah. I, I see it as a tool, as a positive tool. And yeah, like you said, I think most people, you know, like growing up looking at my grandfather's pictures, his fishing pictures was he would take pictures of fish on a lawn <laughs> with like 50, <laughs> 60 true. photos of, you know, it's like they yeah. took their picture at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. It was like now people are taking pictures, you know, and, and putting captions on it, like, you know, keep fish wet. So it's like, yeah. you know, maybe, yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's a different type of angler. I'm hopeful. And how about you, you Wilma? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry for me. My turn. Oh, um, I, can, I can tell who you're looking at for a second. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm also hopeful, but what I do like about, I guess, what um, is the discovery of these spots, you know, and like, like you kind of, you kind of touched on it, you know, you know, as a fly angler, you, you work your way toward, I mean, you, you, you tie flies because it's challenging, you fly fish because it's challenging, and you find the spots because it's challenging, like, and you work hard for like, you know, these things. So I would hope that, um, you know, speaking specifically for SoFly, that our fans are willing to work hard for those spots too, and just see us as more of an inspiration to right. go out there yeah. themselves and find it themselves. Right. Sort of my thing. Have you guys ever had a secret spot found by someone else? Um, yeah, I have, uh, I have, uh, but it was, it was a pretty easy to get to secret spot. So I was like, all right, <laughs> but it did definitely the fishing degraded. I had a I had a little uh, on the margarita. There was a little pause lie, so it wasn't really a pool, but it was a spot where, you know, if, if the salmon were moving, they always stopped, and if you put right. a fly over it, they always ate, yeah. always. And it was my spot for like five years. It was, uh, and every time I go there, you know, if, if those, I look at the, the rain. If the rain came in, like boom, I was there. Yeah, I went back. I think it was last summer. Last summer, I went back and I hiked up there, and you got to like go through some brush like that. I get there, and there's two dudes. <laughs> sitting in my spot i was oh, like god. oh my god it's such a terrible i just like i like, walked away with my tail between my legs like, so yeah yeah i mean i guess that happened to us this year i mean uh when i first went steelheading was with mitch and his uncle told him to go to a certain spot um i'm not gonna name it of course and we were the only ones there it's myself and um gab who was a um one of our, our so fly guys and uh and mitch had a couple um you know what do you call that um a boil yeah yeah, a couple of boils, but you had one on for a little bit yeah. too. And it was like, it was good. And then this year it's everyone's there. And it's because somebody posted um, catching a steelhead at that exact spot. And it only took, yeah, less than five years for, for that to become it's a thing. It's inevitable, know. right? Like it's so hard to fight that yeah. stuff. That's why I think that, you know, I think the internet and, and things like that, um, there's a lot of good dialogue going on now. Things are going to change for the better. I think people have it in them, but it is not the inspiration, yeah. Yama. That's a good way to put it, you know, just... Just have fun fishing and talking about fishing, but, you know. That being said, Yoma, sorry, Monty, that being said, that I, river's tributaries are healthier than ever now. Yeah, And true. it was because of the, works that, the work that has been done on that river in the past five years the people right. by getting people on the river. Yeah. So it's like, it's like there's more people there, but there's also tens and thousands more fish. Yeah. So it's like, it's a tricky one it's a tricky one it's a tricky yeah. one and they're probably always new spots i mean you know, yeah it's, it's it's good to have to look for a new spot everyone you know every once totally. in a while yes totally part totally. of the fun absolutely oh, 100%. Yeah. um okay mitchy's fishies five time okay thank god i thought i had to do like a factor no no that's ago. okay <laughs> not today next time maybe um mati every show we ask uh, every guest at the end of the show same five questions um and they're just more five questions just kind of broader fly fishing questions um okay. but we're gonna ask you them right now and the first one of the mitchie's fishies five is what is your favorite fish and why that's like asking me which is my favorite <laughs> of my three daughters yeah do you like music <laughs> um i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna name three i love tarpon atlantic salmon and brown trout yeah i mean those are that covers the bases i would say <laughs> Yeah, those are fa fantastic go. fish. God, I gotta catch it. I still have to catch an Atlantic salmon and a tarpon, but I keep telling you, man. I know, God. <laughs> he does. <laughs> you guys um, should come to Nova Scotia and do your show out of the cabin next year. Oh my! Whoa! That would be sick. You come up oh, in October. Really? It's like the greatest. It's the greatest collection of crazy fishing dudes. 
Man, that would be wild. So fun. Dude, and wild. They're funny people from Toronto, by the way, who, who oh, make yeah. the drive. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got it. That'd be amazing. Yeah, hundred percent. Jeez, Nova Scotia. I've only ever done Gas Bay once, and uh, I would love to do uh, yeah, Nova Scotia. Marguerite's cheap too. It's public, so. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, yeah, we're down for year. that. Sign us up for that, 100%. Yeah. See you next year. <laughs> um, and it's in Canada, so we don't have to worry about borders or anything. That's great. Right. Um, okay, so number two is if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, assuming it's the best time of year to go there, where would you go and why? So, like, right this very moment? This very moment, where would you go? It's the best time to be there, though. The fishing's going to be amazing. Where would you um, go? You know, I might go down to Harker's Island in North Carolina Okay. and try to catch a really big false albacore from the shore like a, a 30 inch 30 inch false albacore <clears throat> stand on some rocks with some corkers on and try to catch one of those from the shore that sounds pretty wild we haven't heard that answer you've done that before i, I take it i take it you've done that a couple times um i haven't i've done it up here yeah where our our album so i my fish for albies up here I, I go on a jetty and i put my corkers on you kind of boulder your way out there and then stand on the jetty and hope they come in and our albacore just they're not they're not that big Right. In North Carolina, mm. they're way bigger, and uh, there are a couple places I've been read about where you can uh, where you can catch them from the shore. That to me is like the apex Sick. of albacore fishing. It's so fun. Yeah, that's so cool looking. That sounds cool. Yeah. I can dig that. Um, okay, number three is what is your best or favorite or one of your favorite fishing memories? Mm. There's so, there's so many, especially with you know you angle all over the place. So it's you know. I know. Um, I, I'll tell you about a story that was really fun. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Somehow I connived Forbes into sending me, this is now probably 10 years ago or 12 years ago, um, <clears throat> to Russia, where this really eccentric uh, Englishman named Peter Power had leased for 100 years these three Atlantic salmon rivers. And uh, he, um, from the Russians, he made all these shady deals with all these oligarchs and stuff like that to get this water. Yeah. And it was like, it was like the great, it is the greatest Atlantic. It's where, it's where Atlantic salmon fishing, it, where, where it is where it used to be, if that makes any sense. Like they're yeah. fishing everywhere, they're huge. Yeah. Um, so uh, I went there and it turned out to be like um, <clears throat> Apocalypse Now, uh, Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness kind of deal. So I got there, oh, was there for 10 days and this dude, refused to let me interview him he was on a daca on the on the hillside overlooking a river and he just wouldn't let because i was from forbes i was going to ask him some tough questions like that and it got to like day seven day eight every day i would be like i like i need to interview peter I'm, they sent me over here a lot of money and <laughs> need to interview yeah. peter. they're gonna take day, my thumbs day nine nothing <laughs> i was leaving on day 10 at like two o'clock in the afternoon and mm -hmm. i got a message that morning at 7 a.m that i could come up and interview peter parker or peter power yeah. And uh, you know, he, I that, wish it was Peter Parker. These <laughs> huge lips, and he smoked his cigarettes, and he yeah. he told me all the secrets of this place, and it turned out to be a great interview. But um, oh, that to me was like, I just a, a memory because I I remember kind of shitting in my pants that I wasn't going to get the story, but also like how beautiful it was there, and yeah. what a weirdo this guy was. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, that's wild. Peter kind Power. of scary sounding, but pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, number four is why do you fly fish? What do you get out of fly fishing? Why do you do it? Oh boy. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I love water. I love moving water in particular. Um, I love all the gear. Like we talked about before. I love the rods. I love the reels. I love the lines and the flies. I think though, in the end, um, it comes back to that mind clearing thing. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, search for mind clearing 
you know, a way to clear their minds. They do it with alcohol or sex or yoga or drugs or whatever. I, for me, it's, it's fishing. And for me, when you, you know, when you make that cast and you're retrieving it or it's swinging somewhere and you feel that, that tug, like everything's out of the mind. Yeah. And, you know, and so I, I think that's the, that's the high, the high is that, is that, um, <clears throat> ability to forget everything else yeah. and just concentrate on that one thing, which may be silly. Is it's totally silly to a lot of people, especially I live in Brooklyn. People are like, dude, what, you going fishing? What? what why? Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> people don't get it, man. Outside of fishing, people don't get it. You know. I'm totally okay with that. Me too. Don't leave yeah, them. Do, you know. Yeah. I do find that though a lot of people are really curious. Like people yeah. stop me on the street when I'm walking back. You know, especially in the summer when I'm coming back from like a, a flat and I've got my like, you know, my. Uh, flat shoes on and my bathing suit and my yeah. fishing shirt and my, my uh, stripping basket. They're like, dude, what, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People in New York have no, you know, no qualms, but just stopping you in Mill Street and making you explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are kind of interested in it. So That's yeah. awesome. I don't get my spots, but. Yeah, yeah. It is funny. Yeah, people are so interested. It's so strange. Uh, it is fun, like, going, yeah, going to your apartment downtown Toronto yeah. with the waiters yeah. slung over your, or maybe you're in the waiters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a bunch of weird shit in your hands. I used to people, ride. People looking at you like what? The? <laughs> back when I back when I had no money at all, I used to ride the subway out to some of my spots. Oh, cool, yeah. In, in, in Queens, and I would I would have like, I would wouldn't put my waders on, but I had them in my bag. I had my fishing rod, and you know, like people would just give you the funniest. Ass yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool though, man. Subway and out to catch fish. That's cool. Um, okay, number five, Mitch's Fishies Five is what fly pattern represents you best and why? If you were a fly, what would you be? Hmm. I would say <laughs> that's a crazy question. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> you know, my favorite fly is something called a Captain Crabby, which is an epoxy crab, which I just absolutely love. But I would say if, if one fly represented me, it would be a, uh, a blooming olive. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Oh, nice. Nice. I love, uh, I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but here, you know, a good kind of like moody, cloudy maybe misty day is what i always tell my fishing buddy charlie who was fishing me in the catskills it's, it's a blueing olive day yeah. and i just love days like that i mean just just you know not, not i don't want any wind but it's just like yeah and that you know those those days which to other people may seem dull yeah. and stupid or can just be these you know this huge hatch of blue wings comes off and they're little flies and they're big fish that come up and man yeah. can't beat it so oh, man I, I just love the fly too i've always loved the blue body and the <laughs> white feathers and white wings very cool it's a beautiful fly yeah that's a great answer love the moody days man i'm all about those those rainy yes. kind of days fishing it's, <laughs> it's the nicest man that's it that's it for mitchie's fish five that's it for the show it's been absolutely amazing talking monty like holy shit that's we could awesome. talk for another two yeah. hours you know like geez there's so much stuff to talk about but this has been great thank you guys for having me on i really appreciate it love your show too it's awesome oh right on thanks thanks man. really appreciate thanks, that man. Appreciate thanks that. for that yeah absolutely um, we're definitely taking up on the margarita yes yeah. 100%. <laughs> and, then, and then you guys gotta take me down to trinidad dude. oh yeah 100 oh, yeah. yeah. my, cool. my mom will want cook some, you some nice. the permit <laughs> yeah That's awesome man yeah well we don't know how to like really catch them that well but they're there <laughs> they're so there. like yeah. you you do it <laughs> seriously you guys should think about a, a, an october i mean it's great fishing in the summer as well in fact yeah. i prefer the fishing there in the summer because it's dry a lot of dry fly fishing but it could be a little dicey with the water levels but the the, the scene in the fall is so cool yeah. you know it's like everybody's there's like you know uh, everybody's really nice and there's the conga lines that form on these 
pools and you have great dinners and it gets dark early so it's kind of you know the whole thing's fun fun oh, i'm super cool man i'm i'm yeah. sold yeah, and everyone's like catch a salmon yeah <laughs> oh right yeah. just to top it off i love that um where can people find you monty on instagram uh, on your website how can people little shameless plug time. yeah uh, so montyburke.com is the website and i'm on instagram too uh pretty easy to find twitter as well I, i'm not great at social media i actually did my first instagram post for this book i had my new puppy <laughs> chewing on the book yeah so that's yeah Whoever did it yeah now i've got this whole animal theme which i'm starting up again this week but, uh, <laughs> to me that was a that was a i don't love promoting all this shit so it's kind yeah. of fun to like have animals with the book yeah come up with and weird make, ways to promote it yeah exactly and make yeah. up make up little stories about what they're reading and what they're thinking that's <laughs> yeah, great man i love it i love it's it awesome it's a great book everybody at home listening uh if you haven't read lords of the fly yet go pick it up and check it out because it's it's a it's an amazing read and you're gonna have a lot of fun reading it i can promise you that um but that's it for the can show can you get e-copies of lords of the fly like you know, amazon yeah Kindle. yep in yeah. fact Kindle? that's all yeah. you can get now they 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 ran out of uh the third printing hits should hit amazon uh later on this week but <clears throat> the Kindle's the only thing available right now. So. Well, there you go. Oh, I'm gonna put links to those in the show notes, so check that out. If you uh, don't know how Google works, you can just check out the show notes, and we'll uh, put a link there for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, Monty, again, thanks so much for coming on. It was it Thank was you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Awesome. Great Super to talk fun. to you. Great thanks, to meet you. you. Great work. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Later. Appreciate it. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> what the hell? That guy's the coolest guy ever. Holy shit. He's my favorite. Uh, I love Monty, man. That was that was a blast. That was so much fun. Oh, wow. He's so cool, man. So much to talk about. Fuck. Guys, the book is ridiculous. I know I hogged it because we got the book. Monty sent us the book, and I hogged it for the last uh, few days and read it. But I'm going to all send it around to you guys because it's, it's sick. I like, got something to read. There's a lot of really good stories. It's insane. Like, I was like, you know, like he talked such on all, all kinds of because all these guys were down there, but they were like partying, like drugs, drinking uh you know fishing eating it was crazy and then there's a whole section at the end of the book about this guy named uh, bobby era who was a mafia guy and at the end of homo sasa like when it started to kind of go away this mafia guy came in and he kind of just torments he kind of just torments homo sasa and everybody kind of hates him but he's like literally like murders people it's oh my god does he fish too and he he gets huge into tarpon fishing and <laughs> it's ridiculous. You gotta, you gotta read it. Check it out. And um, that's crazy. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it over to you. <laughs> Tony Montana becomes a fly angler. <laughs> oh, was, yeah, no. And the stories are just like, holy Jesus. Um, but yeah, no, great. That was, a, that was super fun. I'm, that was that's great. So much uh, to talk yeah. about, man. Yeah, it's so cool that he's got a cabin on the Marguerite too. That's cool. Go that's Marguerite. crazy. So many people. Oh, oh, funny, man. Yeah, I, I, I went on a, I went on a date. I know, it's, I went on a date on no, Saturday, please. and and the girl and the lady who mm-hmm. I went on a date with has, uh, she has her family has property on the mirror machine huh. well that better work out for us <laughs> yeah how'd that date go Elma? good I oh hope. well she's she's yeah she did really well she's she's super sweet you know um, what good for they, you man you deserve love that's all i can say you do yep especially when it comes with a cabin on the mirror machine <laughs> that <I can> go <laughs> agreed agreed yeah. well hey guys we've been fishing a lot and yeah. i gotta say it's felt really good to actually dive into steelheading mm-hmm you caught two, and so did you, Mitch. Holy That's shit. far. We are recording this on November 16th. Of course, it comes out on December 1st. But um, Mitch just the other night, the day, got a fantastic fish. Oh, that was a beautiful fish. And we're going to rivers that, you know, we don't normally go to. Which I've is, never uh, been to that river before, fun. and that was really fun. I was... Uh... Yeah. That river that you guys went on there reminded me of the credit. 
little yeah, bit. Yeah, I it that fish hit, man, because it was a dry line and the water it was in a deep section. That fish smoked my fly, and I he was came like, "Holy jeez!" I was very happy to have one. That was beautiful, beautiful. It's been a great. I I'm just happy to be getting out so much. Like this. That's what I'm saying. Like this is. I, th- oh, I, I feel like this is the first year. Like I'm. I'm like I can consider myself like a steelheader. We're hitting it every weekend, yeah. and you know, yeah. multiple times in the week we're taking days off work. It's a dream. I'm absolutely, and I this is the plan forever. Like I, I, I just want to find <laughs> time in the fall to just take some days off because it's like, it's worth it, you know. And we just got a bunch of rain. All those thinking Wednesday. I'm really oh, liking I'm that idea. Not, <laughs> knocking off work. For I have sure. some <laughs> client meetings. If I could just figure out a way to move them, my cli- if I could oh. just tell my clients, explain to them. That this is, you know, and there they are now. Get the heck out of here, huh? Right. Or you just, <laughs> or you just take, uh, you know, you take a, you know, you just dip out of the river for a bit, take your, take your little meeting, and fucking. Yeah, you know, true. Everyone says you got to rest. You got to rest the run. You got to rest the pool. We'll have a meeting while you do it. <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah. that's a that's a good. That's a good I did just upgrade my phone plan. Now I have twenty gigs. So oh. I can maybe take it. I can maybe take it. Uh, you got twenty gigs now? Yeah. Well, unlimited, but it throttles at twenty. This is not important. <laughs> I know, but okay. Can we talk about it after? Because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After, of course we man. We can we talk can. about it. Of course we. But can. yeah, no, I just feel super like lucky that we're actually you know, because I never really I don't know. Yeah, I'm not trying to knock the credits. All I'm trying to say right here, but when you know, most of these extended seasons and yeah. end end in December, and then it's just like for the January, February, March, we're just fishing the credit. Yeah, I'm not. Well, it's just one really, play. I'm not really know. complaining, but it's the only option, so yeah. it's like better than no option. Yeah, of course. So might as well fish the other options before that. I don't know because there's like tons of them. So yeah, there's tons of them, and yeah. they're beautiful places, and you it's get to true. see. I mean, how many fucking cool towns we? I know. Did we go to? Did we drive through and yeah. eat lunch in just this past weekend? Like so many nice places, in southwestern yeah. Ontario. Beautiful. Never really go to southwestern Ontario. Now COVID's going back up, so I'm laying low again. Um, but I'm oh, yeah. definitely. Definitely going to make some trips out to my favorite river, which is within driving distance for some beautiful days. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, we'll figure it out. But this, it's oh, yeah, been some, a great year. Some day some day traps, you yeah, know? exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I, aside from fishing and seeing you, the only people day I see traps. is you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's true. Um, well, you're in our circle. So, yeah, I'm in it. You're the only thing only thing about it but anyway i hope i guess what i'm saying is i hope people are getting out enjoying if they can you can enjoy absolutely um uh because it's been a really magical fall for me anyway for us it really has been uh, we hope everybody's you know staying healthy out there but um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know what um yeah everybody check out lords of the fly by monty burke amazing book you're gonna love it 100 percent and thank you for again, Monty. Thank you for coming on. You are uh, one cool guy, and uh, I really oh, do hope. Yeah. I really hope we're able to hit the water together because that would be that would be fun. That would be really fun. I really hope to get you in front of a tarpon, Mitch, one day. Oh, That'd be fun because oh, I got God. to do it with yeah. the Elma. Oh, I'm telling you guys, like reading this and, and all the tarpon stories, I'm like, holy shit! Like, tarpon yeah, that was fishing's a, insane. It's insane. I, I know we've, we've said oh. this before, but. I, it was like a couple casts and I got one and Aldo and I are like, well, this is going to be a good tarpon evening. And then, oh, you know, and they're beautiful. They're so, so cool looking like such they're a cool so fish. S- cool. They're so kind of strange at the same way. Like they look, they've been, they look so much old. different. Yeah. They look so much different with their mouth open than closed. Well, I know that sounds really stupid, but it's like, no, no, no. Cause they it's completely change the size of their whole body. They, you know, a trout it opens its mouth, it still kinda of looks the same. Yeah. A tarp a tarpon, it's like they open their mouths and it's just like, What is this fucking weird thing? Yeah, yeah it's like alien. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
almost looks like they're breaking their neck when you you know you see those like videos of them slow mo jumping and stuff. Well, oh yeah, the the gill flares you know, you're and like, stuff. Yeah, those are like, wild, man. Yeah. How are these things staying intact? I don't know. They're like bits. I know. <laughs> when they're jumping. Around. Well, Monty talks about it in here. He says, you know, like you know, tarpon are millions of years old. You know, and and humans have been around for you know hundreds of thousands of years. Where where we we go out on the water naively like oh you know like we're gonna dominate this tarp we're in the tarpons world not the other way around you know and it's like that's so cool because especially when there there's you know you even just see it a uh, hundred and fifty pound two hundred pound tarpon swimming like that's gotta be a wild I'd want to just go jump in there swim around with it <laughs> <laughs> until you realize there's a shark following yeah, exactly yeah. um but uh, that that was that's a really good point Mitch I uh, that was my first big takeaway of like mm-hmm. when I first showed up to um right your my pal's place my my pal's place in the keys. in in the keys we're just <clears throat> in the backyard is he goes right to the ocean um is he in isla Morada? is that where that is no he's in marathon which marathon. is the next yeah. key over so keys island key island is the yeah. same they're synonymous anyway whatever so um so the first place they had down there was 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 like right in a because they're on a flat right now which yeah. is like amazing but the first which is in a bit of a channel or near the marina. Yeah. And I look at, you know, I've never seen a tarpon before. And there's just these like black logs swimming through the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was like, Oh, crazy. Are those sharks? And his Quinn, my buddy Quinn, his dad was like, Oh no, no, no those are, t- those are the tarpon. I was like, That's what? Cool. And then you'd see them come up and like yeah. out of the water and stuff. And I was like, Holy Fuck, yeah. that's a huge fish. Yeah, yeah, I was wild. like, oh, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> Yeah, we, we we saw them in we saw them in uh in Tulum and we thought they were like dolphins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We saw them yeah. off the not in casting distance and no. but in Tulum and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh yeah, uh Rhett was like, Yeah, those are tarpon. But it. um it's yeah, like to Monty's point, you're like they are kind of scary. Yeah. Like yeah. when we when we've fish for them in Tobago is almost like Monsters. a blessing that you couldn't really see mm-hmm. them because the lagoon's kind of murky and you're just yeah. casting at mangroves yeah. because you do like you start your heart starts you freak out my, panic my almost. heart my heart starts ra- racing when I'm like trying to get you know cast a blueing olive to a 10 inch trout yeah so it's totally. like fucking totally yeah. trying, to, trying to land something in front of a 50 pound fish you're like holy shit yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know because it can take you in the water and in fact some of the stories they do they take people in the water and they gaff them and they get pulled into the friggin ocean it's like, and there's and there's sharks in the ocean. Yeah, well, there it's there's a couple in here that are like that. I'm like, Jesus, man, these guys are like hardcore serious dudes. But um, shit, yeah, we'll we'll do it, man. We'll go. We'll get out there. We'll get it would be there. so cool to just spend like a month. Yeah, it would be living in a um, not necessarily fishing every day, but just living and you know have the ability to go yeah. saltwater fishing every every good know, every day month. every day that's good for fishing like you can get out there for a month i would be kind of like how we've been doing with steelheading this month like yeah. but instead you're just going tarpon fishing like fuck that'd, that'd be, be fun so sick, just that's once so you know yeah. i don't know well we might be able to do it during covid i mean if mitch you don't need to go in the office and then if what are you saying we're going to tobago yoma is this what happened right now is this the start of <laughs> Is this the start this of us spending of like uh, our own novel fishing in Tibet? Yoma <laughs> yeah. brought it up right. on a whim and that was it. We, the three of us never we... knew what would happen over those next eight years when we moved to Tobago to fix permit. <laughs> eight <excuse>. years. Everybody at home. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, Monty again. Thanks for coming on. 
And uh, f- check out the show notes for his book. Check out just the store for his book, Amazon, Google, Chapters, I don't know, wherever you fish. Or find books, not sorry. Don't, <laughs> don't fish in a Barnes & Noble. Um, <laughs> Lords of the or Fly, do. Monty Burke. That's it for me, Mitch Aldo. Thanks, Monty. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And um, take care, comb your hair, eh? Yelma? Uh, take care and comb your hair. Nice. Very also. good. Also. <laughs> 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 Thanks, everybody. <laughs> See you later. You can find all of SoFly's content at SoFly.ca. On Instagram, we're at the SoFly Crew. You can reach us at thesoflycrew at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Facebook, we're SoFly, and our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify.